You're listening to LawPod UK. It's a podcast that covers all aspects of civil and public law in the United Kingdom. All comments are current at the time of publication. It's a podcast that's brought to you by the barristers at One Crown Office Row. And this edition is presented by Rosalind English. The inquest into the death of the teenager Molly Russell has just closed with the verdict that she died as a result of self-harm and that she was suffering the negative effects of online content. This tragedy was a partial springboard of the Online Safety Bill, which is currently making its way through the House of Commons. The bill introduces new rules for firms which allow users to post their own content online and for search engines. Those platforms which fail to protect people will need to answer to the regulator Ofcom, and could face fines of up to £18 million, or 10% of their revenues, or they could be blocked completely. These sanctions will be imposed not just for illegal content, but for content that is legal but harmful. With me here to discuss the bill is Jonathan Sumption, formerly of the Supreme Court, author of four volumes of the Hundred Years' War in Medieval Europe, and authoritative scourge of the government for its anti-civil liberty measures during the recent lockdown. Lord Sumption, thank you so much for coming on to LawPod UK to discuss this. It's a pleasure. So let's look first at what you think is uncontroversial about the bill, and to be welcomed indeed. Well, what's uncontroversial about it is that it imposes controls on particular categories of speech on the internet, which are on on any view harmful. Uh, That means in particular illegal content and content which is precisely defined such as uh, child sexual exploitation and so on, which is not only illegal but, but capable of specific definition. I've got no problem about that. First of all, because I think everybody would agree that that kind of material is harmful. And secondly, because it's capable of precise definition. And that's the critical point. If you do not precisely define what it is that you are trying to attack, the only alternative is uh, to hand discretion over to someone else. And I think that people should be seriously concerned about any statute which confers a discretionary power of censorship on anybody, but in particular on public officials. The big problem about the legislation in its current form is that it seeks to control an additional category of so-called legal but harmful material. Now, this means that material which it would be perfectly lawful for you and I to exchange over the telephone or face-to-face or in a broadcasting studio becomes subject to control at the moment that it's exchanged on the internet. Uh, I think that there is a problem about the whole idea of taking speech that is perfectly legal and simply denying one particular platform for it. The other major problem about this is the vagueness of the definition of what is harmful. It simply means, according to the definition, any physical or psychological harm. Now, that basically is a circular definition of quite extraordinary vagueness. Uh, And the vagueness is going to be supplemented, it's going to be clarified by a process of government guidance. Uh, I call it government guidance. Technically, the government, the, the guidance will come from Ofcom, the telecommunications regulator, uh, 
But uh, the government will have power to vet the guidance that Ofcom gives, and it will have power to direct. Uh, What that means in practice is that this is a form uh, of government control uh, over the flow of information. That, I think, has really very serious implications. We do not know precisely what kind of material the government would wish to control, but their white paper does not inspire confidence. The white paper, for example, suggests that among the categories of material that will be subject to control is misinformation and disinformation. Now, what constitutes misinformation or disinformation is really very much in the eye of the beholder. A government which takes the view that they are acting in the public interest is quite likely to think that somebody who says something that undermines it is engaging in misinformation uh, or disinformation. We had uh, a rather sinister look into this unpleasant world at the time uh, of the lockdowns and the the, the anti-Covid measures because a lot of uh, social media and internet platforms uh, basically being concerned not to upset governments who were threatening uh, them with schemes of regulation like this, even before those regulations came into being, started engaging in self-censorship on a massive scale. And in particular, they censored perfectly sensible statements by MPs like David Davies, who were known to be opponents of government policies, Uh, They uh, took down organisations like Talk TV, who uh, had had interviews with people who disagreed with government policy on COVID. This kind of thing is the classic way in which this sort of official control is exercised. What happens when you impose this kind of control regime is that you end up uh, by privileging things that are anodyne, things that are Uh, in any way controversial, things that people don't like, and in particular things that governments don't like. Uh, I don't think that that is a power which should be conferred on any public official. The other problem about this is that it is the sheer randomness of the process. The internet is absolutely vast. The scale and speed at which material is added to the internet every minute of our lives is simply breathtaking. The only way that you can control this is to use algorithms. Algorithms work by recognising trigger passages of text. Uh, They are relatively indiscriminate. They are incapable of detecting nuance. They are incapable of detecting irony. They are essentially blunt instruments. When you are applying this kind of technique to a material on this scale, Uh, what you will get is a very large number of false positives. Uh, And this isn't the way that it's almost bound to work. Because if you threaten senior executives of internet platforms with criminal sanctions and companies with fines of 10 times their worldwide turnover, they are going to play safe. If there's any doubt at all, they're going to cut it out. So you will lose an enormous amount of perfectly acceptable material, material that is not only legal, but not even harmful. There is a duty in the Act to protect content of democratic importance at Section 15 and journalistic content, Section 16, as well as a need to to protect freedom of expression within the law, that's Section 19. 
Do you not take any comfort from that? No, I don't. Uh, these are pious exclamations which run completely counter to the whole tenor of the scheme of the legislation. This is a, a piece of legislation that is designed to produce an opaque and comprehensive system of self-censorship. So, frankly, you can tell until you're blue in the face that you mustn't do anything unpleasant or nasty or beastly, but actually that is not going to work in the face of a problem like this and with legislation that operates on the basis of such vague definitions and such random techniques. Then, of course, there's the proposed system of using more Henry VIII powers secondary leg- legislation to define this, to, to come up with definitions of what is harmful. Yes. Well, I mean, that is, as I said, a part of the process by which the vagueness of the definitions, they are being given uh, substance and form, not by the words of the statute themselves, but by the exercise of discretionary powers by ministers, officials and regulators. I'm just wondering about the kinds of content that would be counted counted as misinformation under the Act. And say, for example, the statements of anti-vaxxers. I mean, that's silly, but it's not illegal to say that vaccinations are ineffective or harmful. No. I mean, anti-vaxxers are quite an interesting case in point. Personally, I take the view that most of the anti-vaxxers are nutters, and I've got absolutely no sympathy with their message. But the fact is that there have been all sorts of orthodox opinions, including no doubt some of mine, which have turned out to be completely wrong on further examination. The whole world once believed uh, that the sun went round the earth, and uh, it was only a set of marginal heretics who thought otherwise. This is the basic way in which human civilization advances. You don't advance civilization by suppressing or hiding away inconvenient or controversial opinions. You advance human understanding essentially by confronting it and explaining why you don't agree. And you leave people with free intellects to decide for themselves. Anti-vaxxers are an unpopular group because they are inconvenient, they have opinions that are in some respects absurd. On the other hand, some of them basically take what one might call a a quasi-religious view that it's in principle dangerous or wrong to do something that interferes with the human body. I don't take that view myself, but you know, it's very difficult to say that opinion is wrong. It's essentially a judgment which I don't share and I suspect you don't share but which people seem to me to be absolutely entitled to put forward if they want to. And it's up to us to decide whether we agree and not up to government ministers. It mentions in the government summary on the on the website that the kinds of harmful but legal statements can include anything that say, for example, misogynistic or racist. I mean, obviously, when you get to the extremes of that, that is illegal, but it's a dangerous sliding scale, isn't it? Yes. I mean, these are examples of opinions which uh, respectable people don't hold. But the real problem is, ought we to be confining the free flow of information to what respectable people agree with? My view is that one should not. One should allow heresy. Of course, one should recognise that some of it is harmful. But that is part of the price that we pay for human curiosity. It's part of the price that we pay for free debate And on the whole, the outcome 
of free debate is a lot more beneficial than the outcome of indirect censorship like this. Would you see this kind of legislation being possible in the United States? Well, of course, in the United States, there is a constitutional bar on infractions of free speech, and that has been given a wide effect by the US courts. Uh, so the answer is, it's very unlikely to happen in the United States. There are US commentators who have remarked favorably on the English legislative proposals and suggested that that might be the way forward. Personally, I can't see it happening. Would it be possible if this bill becomes law in the form it currently is to challenge it in the Strasbourg European Court of Human Rights under the Freedom of Expression provision section, Article 10? Yes, of course it would be possible. I I would hesitate to predict the outcome because the protection of free expression under Article 10 of the Human Rights Convention is subject to a variety of exceptions for human well-being, public policy of one sort or another. The the Strasbourg Court is a a highly political court uh, and I think that they are likely to take uh, the view that this is sort of within the, the, the range of politically correct outcomes which is, would be acceptable to most uh, of the European states' party to the convention. Uh, I don't know, I'm guessing, uh, but the mere fact that there is some degree of protection of free expression uh, under the Human Rights Convention, I'm afraid, does not enable you to even guess what Strasbourg would decide about it. Indeed, it would probably be well within the margin of appreciation of the United Kingdom in their view, particularly as they're, as you say, pious statements about protecting freedom of expression within the bill. We're discussing this bill now. Where, in your view, do you think it's going? Well, I don't know. I'm not privy to the government's views about it. As I understand it, both candidates in the Conservative Party hustings had reservations about it. Sunak's more comprehensive than Truss's, but even Truss had misgivings about the legal but harmful part of it. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but that is what I understood her position to be. This particular part of the bill has received almost universal obloquy, and I would frankly think that it's quite likely to return in a slightly less objectionable form. Would you get rid of the bill altogether in its current form? No. I think that there is genuine public concern and justified public concern about some categories of information, illegal content, child sexual exploitation, pornography, which the bill subjects essentially to uh, age verification, pornography therefore for minors. I think there's a considerable public consensus that this kind of material is objectively harmful and it's easily defined. So I have no objection to the bill reappearing in a form which continued to control that sort of material. It's really the legal but harmful, undefined bits of it, which are actually a large proportion of the bill, uh, which I think are objectionable. Just going back to where it all started, of course, the Molly Russell inquest, and that was the springboard for the bill, wasn't it? Well, I think there were a number of springboards. I mean, the problem is that governments tend to react with general legislation in response to specific scandals which cause public concern. And that tends to lead to an almost automatic degree of overkill. I think we have basically got to accept 
a certain amount of harmful material on the internet because the method of getting rid of it is worse uh, than the problem itself. I've identified the areas which I think are absolutely legitimate matters of legislative concern. I think we should be very careful about adopting measures to control other things. Well, Lord Sumption, I'm very grateful for you coming on LawPod UK to point out and to perhaps shine a light on on this very worrying part of the bill. And hopefully your predictions will be realised when the bill finishes its passage through Parliament. I hope so. Thank you so much for talking to us on LawPod UK. Bye-bye. LawPod UK is presented by Rosalind English and produced by One Crown Office Row.